Lubidin, founder of the million dollar brand Duke and Winston. We're going to sit down with Shane and he's going to dive into what it took to build his business from scratch, why he quit his job in the middle of building before his business was even 100% launched, and how he managed to navigate a pretty dated and saturated market. Not one to reserve his words, Shane's going to share with us some of the pitfalls that he went through and why he ultimately decided to close his business and shut down even when he was super successful, only to restart, rebuild, to come back bigger, better, and stronger. So whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're a part of your startup journey, or you're just looking to take your life to the next level, this is definitely an episode you don't want to miss. Stay tuned. Our special guest today is Shane Alubidin. Shane, thanks for coming on the show. Uh, we're super excited to have you. Uh, before we dive into the, our dialogue, I'd really like if you could give our audience just a little intro as to who you are and what's bringing you on the show today. Uh, my name is Shane Alubidin, and I'm the founder of Duke & Winston, which is a apparel company for people and their pets. Uh, the brand was was inspired by my uh, bulldog, the Duke, and um, Winston Churchill, whose his nickname was the British Bulldog. Um, I started the company in 2000, and, officially in 2009, um, and kind of built it up to a fairly national level, um, and um, you know, shut things down in 2016. Took some time. To time off and relaunched uh, about five months ago. And, uh, you know, it's been a pretty interesting journey. I built a pretty big following and all of that. And so, you know, I'm now kind of back and just telling the story um, in, in various ways to, to, you know, to whoever, whoever wants to listen. Well, I think your story resonates with a lot of people. Um, it's particularly because there's there's this framework, and I think our society is starting to come out of this, but there's this framework of once you get an idea, whether that's, okay, I'm going to grow up, I'm going to become an attorney. And then let's say you go to college and you realize, actually, I don't want to do torts. I don't like law at all. I want to be an artist. But... You've already told all your parents and all your friends, I'm going to law school. And so you stick with it. You broke that mold. You had a flourishing business. And then in 2016, you put things on hold. And then you came back five months ago. So let's talk about that. What was, I mean, what was going through your mind? What was the driving force for you to even put things on pause? back in 2016, because you had a storefront and an e-commerce uh, following. Yeah, actually, I had two stores um, and uh, and e-commerce. Um, I believe maybe about, at that point, maybe about 20 wholesale. I, I kind of um, scaled back on the wholesale a little bit. Uh, so yeah, it was the business itself, I guess, was thriving. Um, 10 to 15 employees, uh, but, you know, I personally was not doing the greatest. Um, and, 
you know, it was, uh, it, it, you know, it was a lot that got it to that point. Um, and I think it's just stuff that most people aren't really thinking about when they are building, um, um, a business. And, you know, I'll also say that my case is different than a lot of like startup, typical startup guys, you know, like guys that went to school, um, you know, for, for business, uh, or they went to some kind of Ivy League school or they, you know, they were kind of like built for this, especially more in the tech world. Um, you know, I, I'm more of a guy that came up with an idea didn't have much of a background in it and I just decided to go for it. And so when you do that, you're not really, you don't really have like the, the, the right kind of foundation, right? And so you think that as you grow, things get better, like you'll figure it out, but you can hit a point where if you don't have the right team, if you don't have the right people, you know, it doesn't really matter how much money you're making and how, how, successful the business is, you know, you're going to be kind of running on empty, trying to figure everything out. And I think that's kind of what happened to me was even though things were going well, everything was kind of going well on off of my back. Um, and so if you have any kind of personal setbacks, the business has a setback, you know what I mean? And I was like, and I kept noticing that happening. You know, if I just decided that I was going to take few days off or a week off like the business couldn't really function without me um and so i kind of realized that it didn't make sense for me to keep running things that way um and i just kind of was like you know what i i definitely need to shut it down and and regroup and, and that's kind of what i did so you it, it sounds like you didn't have people that were necessarily on board with your vision. It sounds like there were people that, I mean, is it safe to say people that were either collecting a check or that maybe liked the vision, but didn't necessarily want to put in the work or kind of like when your parents are, are gone, like you'll be on your best behavior when your parents are in the house, but when the babysitter gets there, you start acting up. Is that kind of what, what it was like? For um, you? so actually, you know, and obviously this is taking a lot of like reflection and stuff. I'm actually going to take the blame for like 90%, you know, even though it's not, might not be true, but I'll say that I'll take the blame for like 90% of everything that's like that, that happened. Um, you know, if you look at like my team, I think that I, didn't really create an environment where uh, my people felt like they could just run with things. Like, you know, I I started the brand myself uh, based off of like my dog, you know, and for like the first, let's say five years of the, of the brand, it was just me doing everything. So I think, and again, when you're, when you're in the middle of it, you don't really realize this, right? Like you bring people in and I did, I couldn't really like stand outside of myself and see if I was, how intimidating I was to, to work for, or like, you know, people would come in and especially when you're, when you're bringing in like junior level employees, right. And like kids right out of school, graphic designers, like, um, retail people, 
I think that the brand was so tied to me and my vision that everyone that worked for me kind of was like trying to, I don't, I don't want to use the word like trying to impress me, but like, what does Shane want? You know, like it's a Shane's brand. And I probably fostered that. So things kind of didn't happen unless I sign off on it and all that. And I, and I even remember back to um, the first like social media manager hire that I made in 2014, you know, I had to, and she was really good. I mean, she came from like a, a, a much larger company. And I remember um, that every time she wrote a post or took any pictures, like she had to run everything by me, right? And back then my thought was, you know, I have a voice, like I built this, this like I was so on top of all of that. But I think what happened was that I kind of stifled her a little bit, right? So if I then decided that, oh, I'm going to be gone for a week, you know, I hadn't really put the, you know, I don't know what the right word is, but I hadn't really put things in place where she could just run, right? And so that was true for, for everyone, you know? Uh, so I kind of put myself in the position where everything had to come through me. But then when I needed to, not be around for a little bit, you know, nothing really could function. Um, so, yeah, I would say that it was all kind of self-inflicted. Do you feel like that hindered your growth? Um, because you hear about a lot of entrepreneurs and, and people that grew these massive companies, and they were really hands-on. People funneled things through them. You look at Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, the companies that they built, Walt Disney, um, and so to a certain degree, they were hands-on and people ran things through them for the sake of the brand. So what part of that for you do you think was contrary to that growth? Um, I think that because I didn't really have, you know, I'm not, I'm not an operator. Um, and again, these are all things that I've learned. Um, you know, since the shutdown, um, there's certain things that I'm really, really good at. Um, and there are things that I'm just not good at. I'm not an operator. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a leader, right. Um, but when it comes to like the, the nitty gritty of like office management and staff management and all of that, I don't have any experience there, you know. Uh, I've I've always been kind of like a one man show. Uh, even I've I've worked for others, but most of those times it's usually working for like a friend's company. And even in those those kind of roles, I'm kind of left to myself to like come up with some crazy idea and like execute. And you know, even if I have a team. I'm kind of in charge. So when you have a brand and it, and and you or or any business and you kind of have to lead people, you have to motivate them and you have to empower them and all of that. My style isn't necessarily the best for that. Um, you know, one of the things I would say that the biggest thing that I was lacking overall was an operations kind of manager or an operations partner, like somebody that could delegate and do all of that because you know my thinking 
wasn't the worst. Like if, you know, the people you mentioned, you know, they, they, they started those brands and those brands are kind of like their babies. And so they, they want to oversee every aspect of it. But I think what they do is obviously they have people that are, that, are, that, that can handle certain parts of the company so that they don't get bogged down in it. So like the conversation that I could be having with the social media manager, you know, that's time away from me running every other aspects of the company. And then the one thing that, that I was never aware of, uh, most people aren't aware of is your bandwidth, you know, like your, just how much space you have in your head to like take in too many different things. And so if I'm getting bogged down with social media, well, I'm also not focusing on what the store manager is telling me, you know, what my manufacturer is telling me. And if I, if I'm going to get that involved in every piece of the business over time, and this doesn't happen overnight, but over time, you're just going to get pulled like in too many different directions. And, that, and that's pretty so much what happened to me. Not, and I, not being an operator and I, I can relate to that. I'm, I'm the dreamer. I'm the visionary. And I think that's why media works well for me because you put together a series or you put together one show, you're very focused on the details of that one show. And it's exciting because you still have that high on yeah. that one show. And then you leave that show, you go on to the next show and then it's new again, maybe it's still the same premise, but new again, new interview, new focus. Um, so that fits my mold. Yes, I have to be an operator because things have to get edited and you have to market and do things like that. But it, in your business, you it takes a lot of, like you said, it takes a lot of bandwidth. And looking at your social media following, looking at your press following, I mean, I know you've been featured on a few different podcasts. You've been featured in traditional media like uh, magazines. And so how were you able to scale to the point where you were hiring people if you weren't an operator? And the reason I ask that is because I know there's a lot of people out there that want to make that leap into, they have these great ideas. I think Sarah Blakely said, everyone comes up with a million dollar idea at some point in your life. So they have these great ideas, but it's the getting past the dreaming and the visionary phase to the operations phase to the point where you can scale out to hire people. So how did you, how did you break through that? So, I mean, the first thing that I say that I did it wrong. Um, so I'll, I'll say how I, what I did, but it, it's not what I would um, suggest <laughs> because the, the amount of time that it took, uh, it's both a blessing and a curse, but you know, it's not the way that it needs to be done now. So, you know, when I started the, the brand, I didn't come from fashion. I didn't come from retail. I, like it was, I was essentially just sitting on my couch. There's a brand in, in Boston called Johnny Cupcakes. Um, and, you know, I don't know, maybe some of your listeners might have heard of it, um, but um, it's, a, a brand that I followed for a really long time. Um, my my folks live up in Boston, and um, I was working for a um, 
a web de design company. I was doing client services and, uh, and he was, we were trying to get him to be one of our clients and he's got this crazy concept. It's, uh, like his stores look like bakeries. And when you go into the stores, there's ovens and stuff in there and the ovens open up and there's like t-shirts in them and he's got like ice cream vans and, but they sell t-shirts. And I'd actually read about, he was on the cover of like Inc magazine. Uh, and then I actually went up to the store and the day I went up there, there was like 200 people, over 200 people lined up outside of the store. They'd been there overnight waiting to get in. And I was like, this is amazing. Uh, there's nothing like this in Philly. Like I should do something like this. Uh, and that was it. Like, you know, that was just the idea. And then obviously six months later, I actually quit my job to start it. But when I came up with Duke and Winston, there was, that was essentially just, I want to do what Johnny Cupcakes did. There was no planning. There was no anything. Uh, you know, I was look staring at my dog and I was like, yo, I'm going to make one t-shirt with his face on it. And so five years of me figuring it out, like I was just grinding. Uh, you know, I would print a hundred t-shirts, sell them. And this is, I'm not going to date myself and, and pretend like this was before social media. I just didn't care about social media. I didn't care about e-commerce. I would just sell its trunk shows like on the street. Um, but I think that because I have a really good eye for design, I'm very, very detailed. And also I know what people like, like, you know, my friends, I kind of was like, I could make t-shirts that I feel like my friends would like. And you, you mentioned earlier, uh, you know, in between that kind of J crew, Ralph Lauren streetwear, like, you know, I kind of just mashed it together. I mean, and living in a city like Philadelphia, where kind of a, you know, people are walking around on this, like you, you are in contact with thousands of thousands of people every day. It's like a New York city type, just street, you know, traffic. I kind of was just noticed what people liked. And so I was able to really start bringing it in a decent amount of revenue. Uh, and not, we're not talking about a crazy amount of money, but you know, I was able to, every year I was doubling revenue and just doing that. Um, so really naturally I needed help, you know? And so my first hire was maybe five years in, uh, which again, way too late, you know, uh, but five years in, I needed an assistant because I was really good at going out and just selling and selling, but all of the back end stuff, like I was doing everything in, in, in uh, Excel. So I was manually and by year five, we're talking like thousands of sales entries. I was manually putting them in. So I'd be up till four or 5 AM kind of manually putting all that stuff in, uh, and, you know, back then I was like, I didn't care because, you know, you, I had all the energy in the world. I was probably like you know, 29, 30. Um, and I, but I, I hit a point where I needed an assistant. So my first hire was kind of like, you know, entry level, like operations assistant. Um, and she essentially became like my right hand uh, and just all of like phone calls, emails, handled all of that. So I could just go out and I could keep doing these shows. Um, and then once you bring on your first person and, you know, financially the business can, can, can accommodate that. Um, and you, you see how helpful it is. It's really, really easy to like 
start bringing like people people in. So I then found um, I had a lot of wholesale opportunities. Like stores wanted me to 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 sell to them, but I didn't have the the, the capacity to do it. So I then quickly brought on kind of like a wholesale uh, manager, and so her job was just to essentially call and visit stores all day. Uh, and you know, we got picked up by like eighty accounts just by me bringing her in. And again, these were very very entry level people back then. I'm paying ten to fifteen dollars an hour. You know, like no benefits, nothing like that. Like, um, and then I, I opened a my first store was kind of was actually my apartment that I kind of illegally converted into a store. So that's, that's a whole other story that we could get into if you wanted to. But yeah. by doing that, I then needed to hire like a somebody to man the store. So there you have three people. Uh, and then uh, Philadelphia is Philadelphia is a really big, it's a big college town. Uh, it's probably like six, seven colleges all within like the center city area. So interns, you know, like to manage the stores, to help with uh, trunk shows, uh, because the brand was starting to get really well known locally. Every, you know, all of these kids were looking for jobs. Um, everybody kind of was looking for an internship. So <clears throat> it was really easy for me to bring people in for like three months. And we're talking like three months, like every day, uh, especially if it's in the summer or after work. Uh, and some of these guys transitioned into kind of like part-time paid, and then full time. And so, you know, that's that's kind of how it went. And so without even uh, thinking about it too much, like uh, maybe by 2012, 13, you know, you get you have five, six people working, you know, almost full time, like uh, somebody by by then the e-commerce site had launched. So ship in, you did all of it in house. Uh, so before long, you know, you you have you have a team of, of people now. All of these people are entry level, entry level kind of. It's funny I keep saying that because now a bunch of these guys like work like super high up in like corporate, you know, like J Crew and stuff. But back then, right out of college, so no management level people, which is why I said that I wouldn't necessarily um, suggest the route that I went because I think that you know having five or six under like having five or six like uh entry level people probably want to bring on like a strategy partner like management level type person depending on what your personality is like earlier on but i had kind of a lot of just like underlings like working and handling stuff for me um really quickly so it sounds i mean you had a lot of stuff jam-packed there that's i don't even know which route to go <laughs> it sounds hmm. like you you needed someone that wasn't looking for the answers, but was giving you answers in a way. Is that is that kind of where you're where you're headed? Like you didn't necessarily yeah. need someone to say, "Hey, I I think this is what you want based on your vision." You needed someone that was saying, "Hey, based on the parameters we set for where the company is going." This is something that I think would serve as an asset to that growth. Is that what you're? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I think that you know, when when you when you are starting something, especially if it's more of like a passion thing, all right, and 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 you're not going the traditional like fundraising route where you kind of have a plan. And and again, this is why I I 
I speak to a certain audience. Uh, I speak to the audience that I think there's more of them than there are of the traditional side. They just have an idea and they want to go for it. Um, the, the problem that you run into is if you don't have a plan, a business plan set up and, and everything, and you're not able to raise some money and all that, it's very hard to get a strategic person on board, right? Like I couldn't, I couldn't afford a 50, 60, $70,000 salary to, to, to like a manager level kind of operator. Right. But I could hire a bunch of, you know, $10 an hour employees. So it was always kind of a chicken and the egg thing with me where like I couldn't afford or I thought that it would be insane for me to spend $70,000 on this one person, right? As opposed to spending that same $70,000 on three kind of entry level people that, you know, especially in the early stage, that's three people that are doing a lot of like legwork that needs to be done. But if you really, really think about it, um, that one strategic person that can help you make decisions and take off the, the the management load from you is really important. It's just a, it's a really hard thing to like justify, but it's something that, yeah, you, you kind of need to do. And well, have you justified it maybe, and this is all speculative, but that 70,000 could have e- easily turned into two, a uh, 200,000, dollar return on investment sure and here's the thing i try you know you you try i tried um you know this is a thing with with just startups and business i try i try to identify my my thinking i i don't know if it's changed so much my thinking was you know i came up with this this business and i literally put in like 20 hours a day right and I sacrificed by paying myself, you know, back then, maybe I take home 20 grand, 25 grand. And like, I, you know, I'm, I'm really putting everything back into this. And so I want the person that I bring in to really understand what this is. Like, this is almost a self-funded thing. And back then, you know, let's say that my, my revenue was a hundred thousand dollars for the year right for me to be able to pay somebody that comes in at at, let's let's say 50 60 grand um just salary what i found was like this was my experience they just wanted to get paid so like 5 p.m they're out you know like i i really needed somebody that was willing to put in like the sweat and that was then that's that was really hard for me to find and i i started to bring people in so i would bring at a certain point especially when i had like five people working for me i was like oh shit, i need like i need a manager and i tried but then i would find that you know the 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 industry the apparel industry like philly is a very um you know healthcare is kind of like the big industry there um some tech and so a lot of times I would bring people in um, and they wouldn't really understand the apparel kind of game or 
again, they would come in and they would treat it. And this is no, no, this is just how it is. Um, it was, it was a job and I would get so kind of like angry or pissed if I would, if somebody would, they would leave at like 5 PM, you know? And I felt like, nah, this is, I need like a partner. Like I need, if I'm going to pay you this much money, you have to be here, which could be not the best way of, of looking at things, but this is just how it is with startups, you know, especially in the beginning. Uh, and that's definitely how I was looking at things. Yeah. And, and I think that's just start, the startup world in general. It's that you, so you put a lot of stuff on the line. I mean, you're, if you talk to any entrepreneur, it sounds like you are that story to a T. You came up with an idea. Six months later, you quit your job and you were building the parachute along the way down. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what entrepreneurship is, is you don't have all of the answers. You probably don't even have 30% of the answers in the beginning but you build your parachute on the way towards whatever that destination is, right? And so it sounds like, for me, I mean, I guess my biggest question would be, did you have that vision of where you wanted to go from the start? And then you maybe missed the mark on, on, on getting that, that buy-in from the, the people you were bringing on? Um, because I mean, I know for me, I, I discovered you on social media. And so there's, I think social media is kind of a big thing today where, I mean, if you, you have somebody that buys into what you're doing, you could probably find a strategic partner that's, and I, I know I'm making this sound super easy, but you could probably find a strategic partner that's in Seattle or, or Texas or, or wherever that sees where your brand is headed. And so let's, let's, I guess let's dive into that. I mean, did your, did your team at the time have understand what your vision was? Did you fully grasp where you wanted your vision to go? Or were you thinking I like one day I know I'm going to be at, you know, 20 boutique stores across the United States where I'm going to be in an international sensation. I mean, what were your, what was your thinking at the time in regards to scale and your vision? So I think that my vision and that all of that came all, all like close to the end. So, you know, if we're talking like earlier on, um, so, you know, the brand launched in 2009, from 2009 to 2013, where I experienced kind of like a, the, you know, a lot of growth. Um, I was not, there's no strategy. Um, it was just grind, right? Um, I looked at competitors and I looked at brands that had built from like a grassroots level. So, you know, Life is Good is a good, great example. Um, Vineyard Vines is a great example um, of like, just these guys. And again, this is the, this is the, um, uh, this is kind of like you're reading like their, their, their best case, right. And you're following that. So whenever you read about these types of companies, it's like, and, the, and here's actually the one thing that I failed to realize was every time you read about these stories, it's always multiple people, right. It's always two brothers or a group of friends. It's never one, never just one person. And so that was my first, the first thing that I missed, but you read these stories and they grind, you know, they grind for years. And yeah, 
I, I'm 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 one of those people, one of those brands that's literally on the cusp of old school way of doing things. There wasn't there was no Instagram even in two thousand and nine, right? So and then like the new school. So my mentality was totally old school. Like you you I, you weren't thinking about e commerce as like your for especially for a lifestyle brand like like Duke and Winston, like you're not thinking about e commerce at all. You're thinking trunk shows, you're thinking wholesale, and then your website's up and you know, your the the whatever traffic you'll get into your site comes in, but there's no strategy towards that at all. It's wholesale. I mean the big thing and it's still big in the apparel industry now, but back then was trade shows and I, I couldn't afford to do them. The way the industry works is essentially you put together a line of product, you take them to the big trade shows, New York, Vegas, you know, you could spend twenty, thirty thousand dollars per trade show. Right? And and then every store in the country comes to the trade show and they buy from you. Uh, and then that's how you build your business. And it's still a huge part of the apparel industry, even though of course e-commerce is now like um, e-commerce probably is not at wholesales level yet, but you know, e-commerce is, is, is the thing now. So that was it back then. And I was kind of, I just had like a grinders mentality. So I just felt like if I kept doing what I was doing, the right people would, you know, it's almost like if you build it, they will come like, you know, just keep building it, keep grinding, keep doing these trunk shows, keep opening wholesale accounts. Um, just keep doing that and the right people will come. Now, of course, as time went on, I started to realize okay, I need to put together a business plan. I need to put together all of this. And I started to do all of that. Um, but I think that my biggest issue across all of this, and I might have said it already, was I thought that I had to do all of this stuff myself. You know, so even the even the realizations that I came to, like business plan. Well, you know, if you're if you're not if you if you're a creative, and you know that you just don't like writing or sitting in front of a computer, putting together a forty-page business plan is just not something that you should attempt to do, right? But back then, the mentality is like I have to sit down in my off time and do this and. And so I tried to then like put all that stuff together. I try to do all of that stuff myself, essentially. Now, so with, with that, I, I find that fascinating because we were talking about speaking to our strength, right? Like my strength is just, I, I'm a visionary. Like I see, like I'm, and this is a problem. It's a, it's a strength and a weakness because I'm looking like 10, 20, 30 years down the line. Like I'm really trying to build stuff that like, when people will look back and say, aha, now it makes sense. He was working on that forever ago, but now they're just seeing it come to fruition. So I think like it, you obviously had to do that at the time, but do you think you were doing that because you really needed that? Or do you think if you just focused on driving into your strengths more, which it sounds like you have a sales strength, a visionary strength and a creative strength, all of that would have eventually kind of tied in. I mean, because you were able to get get employees at a certain point, uh, do you think maybe that would have kind of picked itself up from the start or picked itself up? Uh, at so point? I would say that I just didn't know any better. Like, you know, um, I think that there's a reason 
you know, that um, a lot of times, you know, you, you're, you, people need to kind of like fail and then you learn from your mistakes and all that. Like my big thing is like my whole, if we go back to just my entire life, like I've always been a, um, I, what's the, I don't know what the word is. Like I've always done things kind of like my way. I've always been like not the best student, you know, I've always been a troublemaker. I've always been, you know, I've, I've always kind of just done things out of left field. I like, and that's just always I'm not controllable and, and all of that. And again, Exactly. Entrepreneurs to a T. Yeah. <laughs> like I imagine you exactly I mean, kicked Dobbs out of every way, school cla- like class clown. Right. Like you know what I mean. Like I'll, I'll just you know like I, undergrad. I was in undergrad for like I was like literally super like man wilder. I was like an undergrad for like what seven years in undergrad. But you know if yeah. you if if you could actually get me to sit down and take a test. I would test really well. Like my SATs were really, really high, but my GPA was like a 1.9, you know, and I had to go to summer school. And then I was, so I've always been like that. And because I have really, really strict like academic parents, like they try to force, you know, they try to force me into like, but after a while they kind of just gave up. And so for me, I, I knew from a young age that I would never, ever, ever survive in like, a corporate setting because I just, you know, I don't know, I don't care about rules. Like it's always, I've, everything's just always been a mess. And in my, your teens and your twenties, that can, it doesn't work for you because you like, you know, it, it is a while, there's a, there's a period of time where it doesn't work for you. And there's a period of time where it really works for you because you're like risk, you're a risk taker. You can jump on things and, and do things. And so with Duke and Winston, the reason I actually even started was because I could never go work for a clothing line, right? But I can start my own and I could, I, I'm a good learner. I can figure out what other people are doing and just try to replicate that, you know, and you're that crazy creative mind. Like I can just make shit happen, you know? Um, and so that's how I went into it. I didn't, you know, and I figured that everything else would fall into place because again, this is, you're a little bit naive and, and whatever. And, that that can work, especially you know if the 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 area that I was disciplined was that one like I don't think that there are many people that would out hustle me like I can work you know and also because of how I grew up I grew up in all these different countries and stuff like that said I have a pretty good eye so like when it actually comes to designing something that's quality that people will like. I, I will sit and focus and make sure that happens. And then I brought in those kind of support employees. So that was good. Um, but the rest of it, you know, it's not since, uh, you know, since the failure and, and just had all the analysis and stuff is that without that strategy part, right? Like I was, I was setting myself up to build a, beloved $1 million brand, right? That like the people just love and it's like a little hometown brand. And what I was doing would never have made it like a $100 million brand because I would, my, my mindset was just too small. And any mistakes, any outside 
you know, tragedy, tragedies that happen will just tank everything. So the way that I was operating, even though that's how a lot of kind of wild creatives um, start out, a lot, I think a lot of the types of creatives that, that are like me, you know, when you read a lot, you read that they like they've had four or five, six failures, right? Because I think that that wildness, like you, you don't have any fear and you just jump into things. But I think that what happens is you then need to kind of like, and the word I would use is sober up. Like you have to really, you have to, you, you have to kind of fit it into something for, for it to work long-term, or you need to really luck out and have a partner, the person that's the opposite of you, like really drive the business side. And then you just need to be left to your devices to like be a wild person. You know what I mean? Like, so that's kind of what I learned. And I, so th right. these are all things that I didn't really, you know, again, nothing in my life happened to me that made me think that, that this was important the first time around. And I think that that's kind of why things went the way they did. I'm, I'm curious in that, so going through all of that, you said you, you weren't necessarily, you were building to be a one brand, yeah. small community operation. Yeah. Have you, has your mindset shifted to scale? That's, and I'm sure that's not for everyone. I mean, there's a lot that goes into scale. I'm not one to speak to it yet as to how scale impacts your life, but just looking at it, any major company that really impacts culture and community and the conversation has scaled to a certain point. Um, has that, sh have you shifted your mind towards, Hey, if I really want to impact people's lives, I need to scale. Are you still thinking that you want to scale, but scale within your community and really Really so I'm, I'm kind of, it's such, such a, a really good question. Um, you know, the biggest, the biggest piece of my journey the last three years has been a lot of self like analysis and like, you know, I didn't know what, I wouldn't even call it therapy. Like I have like a straight up like business coach that ends up she's almost like a therapist like she because and her job is to like has been to make me like be really look deep down and look at my strengths and be honest about my weaknesses and all of that and i think that's why i i talk the way that i i talk now and it's very important for anyone that's going to get into business you have to be able to self-analyze right and you have to be very honest with yourself and so what I've realized is I am not the guy that's going to like drive a hundred million dollar company. I'm not, um, I have certain, um, like my personality, like whatever, but I I'm extremely creative. Uh, I can come up with things on the fly. One of the things that I, desperately need and, and and luckily for me the great thing about this this round of duke and winston is without the retail side of everything my overhead everything's so low that i have time right i'm not under any pressure to get to 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 this point but what i need to get to is i need to be around people 
that um, have built things to scale, right? Um, you know, in the back in the day, I would probably be like, why am I I'm not going to join a team? Like I'm on their level. Like, why would I? But I realized is there's certain personality traits that just don't make me the best person to lead that type of thing. I'm really good at starting like the early stage startup is my sweet spot. I mean, I can do that all day, right? Developing the brand, identifying the customer, grassroots, building you know, building a rapport, like really identifying like really detailed aspects of just what what makes people like something and like getting those people to love that product. I'm really good at that. Now, when you want to grow that that thing a hundred times, it becomes less personal, right? It, it's more business, data driven. I'm not that. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I'm not that. So you have to be honest with yourself to because again, a lot of entrepreneurs are like, I'm gonna be the next Bill Gates, I'm not, you know, on my own, I'm not going to be, now I could be part of a team that does that. Or, you know, the one thing is, do I even want to be a part of something that does that? And I, I kind of lean more towards building things that are small, that build value to people. And maybe, maybe those things um, blow up, or maybe they don't, right. Uh, and maybe I'm in, I'm in a situation where I'm building like three or four kind of small level things that are really making an impact right and then um but but they are they're they're well run they're well operated uh they're they're more automated and then you can take them to a bigger entity that can take it off of your hands which is another thing i'm sure we can talk about is you know equity and ownership like back early stage duke and winston i wanted to own everything now i've realized like that's not really what's important because sometimes you might have to give things up for it, for it to scale up. Like people can take things off of your hands and then blow it up. Now you own much less of it, but you know, like you have to figure out where you fit in the wheel. And so what I'm realizing is that, yeah, I'm not the, I'm not the, I'm not, you know, these, these guys that we all read about, the Bill Gates, the the Mark Cubans. I'm not, I'm not that guy, you know. But that's also, I mean, that's also takes a certain level of maturity too, in realizing that it's, I'd rather have 30% of a big deal, 30, 40% of a big deal or whatever the number is, than 100% of a small deal that I'm just never going to break through. I'm never going to penetrate and playing to your, you can't play to your strengths if you're thinking of 100% of the problems that don't suit your strength. Like if you're dealing with hundred percent of the operations or manufacturing problems like you, and I, and I get you hundred percent. Like when you have a vision, you just want to go. And then through bureaucracy with, with an industry that's pretty dated, yeah. it stalls up the create creative process. And I think that that level of self-awareness is kind of, a hundred percent. Like so, the you know the first phase of Duke, like even even looking at the the downtime, I took I took the I took. You know what's funny about Duke and Winston? I had, I still have, but I did at then. I had like billionaires, you know, as customers and people that were interested in the brand. Um, the great thing about what I built was the perception of the brand was that it was a hundred times bigger than what it was. So I would have these meetings 
with like I mean I the 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 CEO founders of Home Depot, um, the guys that own the Giants, uh, like the Tish family, um, J J Marriott. Uh, I would make I made ties for like all of these prep schools. St. Albans and DC and stuff. And, and so I would have kids of just all of these, like literally the wealthiest you know, families in America. And especially if you own a bulldog, a lot of bulldog people are like either super wealthy or like, you know, the rescue type bulldog people. But a lot of times you have, you have to have a lot of money to have a bulldog. And so I was having these meetings and, you know, I, I would run into the same kind of situation. Um, they would, the expectation was that I would show up with a team and it would be just me like wait you're duke and winston and i would be like yeah i came up with all this myself thinking that that would be like a a, a strength right like damn this one kid did all of this but to a lot of these guys it wasn't a strength it was like oh no we want to invest right um into your team and i was like well I need your money to be able to build my team so that kept happening right and so i that's the I realized that, oh, yeah, like a one man show is not like it's might you might I might be impressed by that. But in the in the real world of like money, because, you know, a lot of times you think that like people that are investing in you, um, they're going to provide you with like their knowledge, their expertise. No, they're not, especially if they're super successful, like you are one of, you know, a thousand opportunities that they're looking at. And, you know, they don't and they don't just want to and they also know that if they throw you money and you're using their money to like hire, they know that like you might need to find five COOs before, you know, and so they, they don't want you to waste their money. And so I was super demoralized. And this is part of the reason that everything just shut down. And I took everything so personally, like, because to me, Duke and Winston was like my child. Essentially, that is my dog you're looking at, like, and you know, and looking back, I was like a, my, just a whole different person. Like I was letting this one business that really, if, if you look at the revenues, it's, we're not even talking about, you know, I, I built it several, uh, you know, it was a couple of million dollars or you know, close to $3 million in revenue as a one man kind of t-shirt operation It's impressive, but really it wasn't that much. Um, and I was so tied to it and to the point where even these guys i was meeting with like i would get so offended when they would say things like that like i wasn't thinking that i think they were looking at me like you know what if you're able to build this you can build like a thousand other things you know but i was so bogged down that like these guys are trying to rip me off and this and that and what i've realized now is that if you are able to build a Duke and Winston, you're able to go through all that stuff and, and meet with these people. What, what is it, the talent that it took, the creative talent that it took for me to develop all of that, that's really all that matters. Like Duke and Winston is just one of, you know, at my age, mid to mid thirties, I could build 10 other Duke and Winston's moving forward. If I have, the foundation, right, and the network and the people around me and the back end to be able to do all of those things. And so now I've realized is like, you know, walking out of some of those meetings back then, it was it was crazy. 
for me to do that, right? For me not to like figure out how to get into the into the fold because you I really needed what they had, you know, and and just pulling out like the the skills that I have to be able to to, to do things. And so this time around what I've learned is like I can do what I what I'm doing now, I can do this in my sleep. But this is not what's going to elevate the brand. What's going to elevate the brand is once I get it to a certain point with this relaunch, start taking those meetings again, right? Like anybody, if, if anybody that's interested in the brand, and, and you know, obviously they need to be able to to add something other than just money, because just money is not like you know, if if you're meeting with somebody, maybe they have because of brands that they've owned or invested in the past. They have access to like wholesale accounts, or they are they they own an e-commerce marketing company, right? And you, they can just plug you into their th- like that's in a, an added benefit. But you find the right entity like that, and you in, and you're going with them. And obviously, you have to work out equity and stuff. And I'm sure there's there's a lot of details that go into giving up equity. But if you really you know, I want to build things. And I, again, this is something that I've realized over the last two years. Duke, I thought Duke and Winston was my life. I realized that, no, I want to build multiple things. And so at some point, you have to essentially, ca- in the word, cash out. Now, obviously, ho- hold on to a piece of it. Uh, stay on board, if possible, is kind of the creative to lead it. But you need to be able to open yourself up to other things. Because if you get bogged down, like you just said, like with the nitty gritty, you, once your creativity, if you're creative and your creativity stops and you're just bogged down with the business, you essentially will shut down. And honestly, in 2016, my brain shut down. <laughs> like literally, that's the only way I can look back and explain it. It shut down because I was trying to battle with like billionaires and business. And I just was like, this isn't what I should be doing. You know, like I should be trying to figure out like what makes dogs like, like, you know, product like you know and now i'm just in boardrooms like dealing with this so uh i know that was kind of a long-winded response but no that's that's because that actually leads to a question i had for you and that so you you talked about they're investing into they want to invest into something that's already going and you've mentioned a few times that you know if had i had the funds to to invest into a 70, 60, $70,000 a year operations manager, I could have focused on the creative side. And so, I mean, and I'm sure these businesses were looking at like, they spent probably spent $3 million to fuel their jet every yeah. year, right? And so to them, which is not a knock to your business, especially on the shoulders of one guy, but to them, it's like, well, this looks like a hobby, which is crazy to me. Yeah. But uh, so, so looking at that, do you think that if you might have stayed at your job uh, oh, another year while you're, you're instead of taking a salary for yourself, using that extra $20,000 to invest into another person or another system or software? Or do you think that, like we said before, building the parachute on the way down was really vital to your business's growth. Oh, for me, like, you know, I'll I'll talk about for me first and then like advice side of things. For me, it's not possible for me to be, to have done what I was able to do and keep 
a, a day job. Like you just like no, you 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 have to go all in. Now there's people have different personalities, right? My personality, like attention wise, you know, I, diagnosed with horrendous like ADD that that type of stuff, like that kind of mind that I have. If I'm not interested in something, you you're not gonna get any. I'm not going to be productive, right? And then if I find something that I'm super passionate about, like I I will go all in. And it's hard to do both. Um, you know, I think that a lot of folks would would probably advise like, yeah, do the same, just just go for it, like quit your day job. I think that you kind of have to go off of the different people's personalities and then also your 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 capital needs. Like, you know, if you have a day job where and you and you are also disciplined, right? And you're regimented. Well, the 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 revenue or the salary from your day job can help fund your 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 kind of passion project. For me, though, I, even now I'm I'm a go all in type of guy. I have to be, you know. Um, I think that I have also read enough about folks who have really made it and like. You, you just got, I, I have to go all in, you know, there's no, there's no, yeah. Removing that yeah, safety yeah, blanket, yeah. essentially. Well, I, I want to go into the, so we talked a lot of pre, I guess I'll call it Duke and Winston 2.0, the, the, the rebrand or the restart. Um, I think it's really telling. There, I, there's a certain amount of strength in saying, okay, you know what, whether it's finances or mental bandwidth or, or rebranding, whatever it is to close shop. And you had two stores, you, you had a lot of key meetings and potential key partnerships on the table and you put it all on pause, you stopped. And so the first part of this question is, did you know you were going to make a comeback with Duke and Winston one day? The second part of that question is, was it more difficult to say, you know what, I'm putting this, uh, I, I'm putting, I'm closing down shop or did it take more strength to say after everyone seeing you? And I'm sure that there are people there's, there's always haters. I'm sure that there were people that were excited to see you close shop. Do you think it was harder to come back after closing? Um, so I would say that, so my situation, it's hard to say how my, how things have worked out if I wasn't personally like, and, and I'm, I'm very honest about this because why not? I was, I was boozing pretty hard, like at the end. So, you know, when you, you have two stores, right? Um, and and my, my first store was just my apartment, right? In Northern Liberties, it was this illegal space. Actually got me a ton of press because I got all this national press because I turned my apartment into a store. Uh, and I got, the city came after me, but then it, it got press and uh, I did a Kickstarter and it, it was it was wild. And then the city was like, oh, wow, this is a cool brand. And I lived in like the cool part of town, like Northern Liberties is kind of like the Williamsburg of Philly. 
And then the city was like, hey, you know, we'll help you get into this space in Center City, like next to next to the J. Crew That's store. Funny. You know, my apartment store was, uh, I think, officially was like maybe four hundred square feet. Um, the Center City store was three thousand square feet, right? So the saying "all press isn't bad." All press um, is good. That, press and that's the story of my of the brand. Like I would just I, everything outlandish I did, and again, it's almost I'm it's almost like I'm looking back at a at a different time because now everyone's on social media and stuff. But a lot of my stuff was like street level, like guerrilla marketing. Like the store, I I didn't plan the store thing, but that's how it ended that's up being. Funny. Uh, but then I capitalized on that and I would do a lot of just stunts and stuff like and and it would get me tons of press uh, and it was all good, um, you know. And um, so, yeah, I got the space in the city, um, 3000 square feet. Again, no background in real retail, like real retail, you know, like there's 100,000 people, I believe, that walk by the front of the store every single day, 100,000 every day. And then a block away, Walnut Street, it's like 500,000 or some crazy number, you know? Um, so like I was like, it, where in my store in Northern Liberties, 10 people a day, you know? So, cause I was in the, and that was a residential neighborhood. So I wasn't prepared for that, um, you know, raised a bunch of money and stuff. Like it, the, the stakes got real when I opened the store in Center City in 2014. Uh, my staff grew, everything grew. I was still taking these investment meetings, but then, you know, and just so you, I was going through a lot of different things and I was like, stop going home. Uh, and I would just pretty much live in the store. Like I would work till five in the morning, you know, try to try to handle and look over the finances and after everyone had gone home and that, that was kind of my life. Uh, you know, I like gained like 40 pounds because I just ate fast food every night and you know it, it got real um there was a crazy and then i just started like and we would have a lot of events at the store so we would um, so victory brewing which is like a local brewery uh they've gotten really big now but really like they would always give us like alcohol and stuff and so i would just start i would just drink you know um and i you know and because i couldn't focus on like a lot of like my work type stuff Obviously, when you, you, you go to your doctor, they prescribe you like, you know, ADD medication. You mix that with alcohol and you're just like, <laughs> you know, wired. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> this was my life for like a year. And it's crazy because I look back and, you know, and this is when the brand 2014 was like blew up. I mean, almost the, the brand like blew up. I got a, a feature like American Express did the whole feature on the brand. Um, the store became this crazy tourist spot because obviously the dogs were, the bulldogs were always there. I, I mean, I decked out the space to look like a British, like gentleman's club. Like it was, it was cool. But the downside of that was like, I was, after everything shut down, I just was like, damn, you know, like I have, I'm, I'm making everything up as I go along. It's going well, but like I'm stressed. And because you're, you're not thinking straight, you know, because again, it's hard when looking back, I'm like, why couldn't I just take some of that money and get a COO? Like, because things aren't just cut and dry like that. Like, of course you try, like things aren't going well, but mentally you're not there because the obviously the effects of that much just 
like to your body. I mean, I had to go to the hospital twice uh, because I thought it was Crohn's disease, but it wasn't. It was just like from unhealthy. Like I thought I was having a heart attack. Like all of this was happening. Uh, the Pope came to Philadelphia, I believe in September, 2015. I spent like $40,000 on inventory because we thought it was going to be like the biggest, like, you know, the Pope was coming. Like, you know, and the way they did it was they shut all the streets down. And so people couldn't oh. walk on like the, the retail. So, so had you had it killed it and so, it help you navigate planning. Exactly. And so when I shut everything down, it wasn't really because even the, even the $40,000 like inventory spent, like there would have been a fix for all of that. I think is that. It was the first time in my life that I realized, because I've always been, like I said before, I've always been kind of like a wild guy, like and all that. But first time in my life where I actually was like, I'm not happy. You know, like I literally think that I've always been a clown, (laughs) you know, like I've never really been like, oh, I'm not happy. Like, you know, you don't even think like that. But I caught myself and I was like, you are in trouble, you know, like, because this, I, I was, I was past the point where I was doing like a hundred trunk shows a year where I would go up and down the East coast. That, that stuff was a lot of fun. You're in front of thousands of customers. I'm literally in the back of the store, piles of paperwork. I'm drinking, I'm taking all kinds of shit. You know, like my staff is looking at me, like I'm making all of these decisions and I don't even know if I'm making these like these decisions right and also i'm not aware of how i look like physically look you know like i mean and I, and also i think one of the things that made it worse was i was i was really pretty tight with the mayor of philly um, mayor nutter he would wear my stuff all the time his wife ran like uh, a charter school for like um african-american like kids and i they I designed a shirt for them and I would go there constantly and go talk to the kids. So then I actually unplanned, it became this like community guy, but I was a mess. Right. And so I was like, and my whole, the, the whole foundation of like just my life and the way that my parents brought me up, like, you know, I'm, I would consider myself to be a very, very good, solid stand up person. And I'm like, Oh, this is, driving me down a different path. And so the shutdown was based on those personal the type of decisions, right? You know, I, I, I got to a point where the revenue the business was making didn't matter. I was just like, this isn't where I was supposed, when I started Duke and Winston, I didn't think I'd be sitting here with a bottle in my head, you know what I mean? Right. Like, this is just not where I'm supposed to be. And that's where I dec- that's where the decision to shut it down came from. It didn't even matter about the business at that point. And, you know, and also I was also, and so what, what you're desperate when you're in that position. So all the meetings I was having about potential COOs or people, people to come on board and help, I felt like I'm making these decisions, anything I decide, like at that point, if somebody came to me with a bag of money and was like, give me 40% of the company, I might have done it. And I was like, you're not thinking straight. So you need to, you know, you need to, you need to like take time off. I wasn't, I didn't really know how long for, I just knew the stores had to shut down, right? Because the retail was not going well at all. 
Um, one thing that we actually noticed was that my overhead to run both stores was probably like $40,000, some crazy number a month. The e-commerce, which I had put zero attention to, like I had, you know, I had a, an assistant managing the, the e-commerce. We spent zero money on marketing and the website was maybe that the month before I shut down had done like 25 grand or something. The store, the main store had done like 35, but the overhead for that store was like 20. So I realized like, oh, this is not good. You know, the the rents had gone up. Um, we actually had a situation where the ceiling caved in uh, in the store because it snowed. And so I was like, okay, the first thing I need to do is shut these stores down. Let me try to then just like, you know, get rid of everyone. Let me let me scale it down to e-commerce um, and then regroup from there. Close the stores, you know, how to get out of the leases and go through that process. But by the time I got it down to just e-commerce, you know, staff had gone down to like three people. I still personally was not doing well, right? So like my employees were running the business for me. I was just like, I wasn't there, you know? So I was like, you know what? It's, there's no point in pretending, you know, um, that everything's good. And, you know, the type of customer base that I built, you have to be out there like on social media and stuff. Like everything's great. You're posting about the dog, but like I'm lay, laying in bed, like not moving, just you know? So, right. yeah. So then at that point, this is maybe in June of 2016, I just was like, literally i'm going to my parents house like i need to go like not like go anywhere but i just need like i'm done you know and it just that was it and so it was a very abrupt um you know no the public i think maybe the public knew because maybe orders were like really slow going out the, those last few months uh, i actually didn't ship the last hundred or so orders um, I just kind of shut everything down. So yeah, so things shut down. It was mostly all personal. Interesting. Yeah. So did you at that point, I mean, I'm sure you, your, your thoughts were so clouded, like you couldn't even think about a comeback, but did you kind of have an inkling like, yeah, I know I'm coming back. No. So what, I, what I, what I knew, what I felt was that my I knew that I had something, right? And I felt like that thing was lost and I needed to get that back. And then, but I wasn't thinking like, I'll come back to Duke and Winston. I just was like, you know, if you are creative, there's, I, I needed to figure out how I had gone from like going to sleep every night thinking of the most outlandish creative ideas to literally not caring about anything, right? So like, that's kind of what I needed to solve. And cause I, you know, again, I'm fairly confident that just because of my life experience, like the, that creativity will lead to good things, but once you lose it, you're, you're in trouble. So I needed to just get that back. And Duke and Winston was not even like the thought, you know? Interesting. So your Shane 2020, um, relaunching, you, you have an audience, but now your audience is trying to reestablish that relationship. And so what does the future look like for you now? 
Um, so, you know, I, you know, when things shut down, like I kind of was just trying to figure things out. And I, one of the things that really helped me was uh, a friend of mine, um, you know, had a similar thing happen. He had a bunch of restaurants in Philly, Penn State area, he had like a chain of restaurants, shut them down. And he went out to LA. Uh, and so he just told me, to get out of bed and, and, and come out there. And I went out to LA and I started to work for a company, uh, of a bunch of companies, like friends kind of just would bring me in. And I, I worked for a company called represent.com and um, they do merch for influencers, like almost all the biggest influencers on YouTube, like PewDiePie and, you know, um, Instagram. And it was the first time that I was forced to kind of just look at, again, when you're in a bubble, like Philly or whatever, like you don't know anything that's going on, what the kids are up to, like, or any of that. Like I was in just traditional business. It forced me to look at like social media and just influencers. And essentially what my company was doing was you got these kids, I, you know, in LA, we're talking like, especially like the rapper kids, we're talking like a 12 year old has an audience, right? And that 12 year old's job is to entertain that audience. And that audience falls in love with that influencer. And then clothing and stuff is just like merch, right? That they sell to that audience and they just create content. And again, this is, this is all, and we're just talking like not even two years ago. This is foreign to me and it shouldn't be. It's like embarrassing that I didn't even, you know, <laughs> it's embarrassing. And it's funny because the Duke and Winston's Facebook page, you know, got 17,000 followers. My mailing list is like 20,000, you know, Instagram, I was slow to get on there, but there was like 7,000 people when I started getting down. I didn't know any of that. I didn't even know that my social media girl was engaging. Like I, I had like a captive audience and especially because they were dog lovers and what all the little points over almost a decade that I hit with people, they were like there, but I didn't know any of that. And so when I was in LA, I was just like, huh, okay. So I've still got this, right? Like, it's not like if I started and a lot of things with me, I was also embarrassed about just how everything shut down. Um, and then I started seeing the brand everywhere, like everywhere in LA. Like I go up to the Hollywood Hills, there's a Duke and Winston hat. I go to Manhattan Beach, there's a person, Duke and Winston. I'm like, all right, I have to try this. But what I saw was an opportunity to do it in a much more controlled way. And obviously I personally also went through a bunch of like changes. Like all of that had to happen because I feel like I had to mature, you know, um, growing up in a place like Philly, like it's essentially like your hometown. Um, you just, you're like, you, you're like a kid, like even though all the drinking and stuff, it's like, you're not maturing, but that process of shutting everything down had to make me kind of self analyze. I'm like, okay, well, I'm like much calmer, you know, like I've literally just been punched in the face. And so the way that I, using everything that I've learned the last 10 years, like how do I bring this up again a smart way? One of the big things is obviously I'm not as personally tied to the brand as I was before. Uh, Duke passed away um, last year, um, but there's something there. 
So what do I do? Uh, and so, you know, I didn't want to start hitting people up and saying, hey, do you want to invest? Like, let's get this going. Like, I personally, and this might not be the smart way of doing things, but this is just, I personally felt like what I need to do is revive the brand on a minimal level just so that there's like there's life there again right like i have this audience i don't have to spend any money i just 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 relaunching alone you know the audience will purchase because i a lot of the customers like i know so well that like it's it was just like all right just get that going again and so i put together the bare minimum that i could and just relaunch like a soft relaunch you know and 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 that was the last week of november and expectedly sold out you know um and just e-commerce just online um and the goal essentially is to and then for me to familiarize myself with like the content side of things facebook instagram you know um super low um, overhead i'm i'm in Dallas, uh, I actually kind of hooked up with a, um, a VC firm, uh, but that they were customers, but instead of investing, they kind of helped me with the legal side of things to just clean things up. You know, we didn't really get into like the fact that I did give up, uh, give out a bunch of equity over those 10 years to friends. Uh, so we had to kind of hash out all of that. Um, and, uh, and here in Dallas, I kind of, I hooked up with a fulfillment company so essentially they handle everything on the product side so one of the big headaches of having an apparel business is so many moving parts like you're manufacturing overseas printing shipping like it just there's a lot that goes on um in the last three or four years there are companies that essentially they they serve the influencer market right so like the influencer doesn't know anything about apparel so these companies are just there to like handle everything for them. And so one of the biggest ones is here in Dallas uh, and they're handling all of my production, all of my shipping. So there's essentially 80% of the business is just handled. So my job is engage and sell. Uh, and so, you know, Going exactly. And so I've been doing that for the last two months, but also what I've realized is even the stuff that I'm doing, right? Like, the biggest change that's happened with me is that, and again, this comes with age and stuff is, you know, you're, you're tied to these things because you want to prove yourself. Social media, if I was to, at a certain point, and I, I think I have about six or seven roles that I'm kind of handling right now. As soon as the opportunity comes, you hand off those roles. So like I'm posting everything that you see on Instagram and all that. The second, somebody that's, qualified comes in you hand it off to them right wholesale hand it off to them i am not an expert at anything the only thing that i am is the vision the vision behind the brand i have like a visual business plan like a three to five year plan of where i would love to see duke and winston go and funnily enough retail is actually back on that list which seems like it would be crazy that it's on there but it is back on there uh but this is planned and years out and it's not just a retail store there's an actually a concept for it and this is what i want to build and i realize that 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 um building that i'm kind of central to that um i really want to engage 
like dog people and come up with innovative products that that, are, that like serve both dogs and their people. And I want to be kind of like the ambassador for that because you know I I I'm, I've been around a lot of brands. And I speak really authentically. Like I actually care. There's nothing that I care about more than like just the customer, right? Like I think that you look at brands like J. Crew and High Street brands, and they're so impersonal to me. Like they look like they're just they're all a dying breed to me. And I think the way that this industry is going is very personalized, right? You you have your audience and you cater to them. Uh, whoever I bring in, no, none of them are going to care about maintaining that as I am. They're just not going to. And so that's going to be my role, but everything else, right? From the scale in the business, to fundraising, to operations, to social media, we'll, there, there will be somebody who is an expert at that, will handle it. And it, it won't be my job to kind of like look over their shoulder like I did before. Uh, because there's no, um, e there's no um, overhead from retail and stuff right now, I'm able to move around and take meetings at my own leisure and just slowly build the online business and, and look for the right opportunities to build, to rebuild this, this thing. And to be honest, I have like a list of potential like people that I can go to. I'm not even ready to start having those meetings. I'm kind of just having fun reestablishing things. Um, I'm realizing a lot of things just about the industry. Um, one being that like, I, I started to get really apparel heavy at the end of the last phase so i was i was actually starting to get into like jackets and button downs realize that for a brand like this keep it simple t-shirts hat and then accessories and then like even like home good type stuff um you know 75 percent of my customer base are, are actually women which is such a crazy thing because when the brand started out it was like t-shirts for like my frat bros you know and it's become like wealthy women and so that's there's so much potential for where the brand can go and my job right now is to essentially start to identify the different entities that can come in and help it go in that in that direction and and that's it and taking myself essentially out of it you know like a lot of what people want to hear from me more now they, they love the brand they love that the brand is back but like when people hear the story like the full story they're like wow and I feel like there's more I can do with what with the last, let's say the last five years, right? There's so much that I've learned that last five years that I can imp like I can use in a positive way in so many different areas that like just keeping it to like an e-commerce t-shirt brand, it just seems like too low stakes for me. You know, if, if that makes sense. And what's, what's crazy is that it's, it yeah. took five years to accumulate that knowledge and it would probably take you a year, a year and a half exactly. to mass everything, that, if not more. I, exactly. Like, you know, you take all the revenue combined that I made with Duke and Winston, and, you know, I can see it. It's 2021. I could do all of that in a year online. Like, I see a potential of e-commerce alone. If you – like, I'm not a master of it. The, the, the only smart thing that I'm doing right now is I'm not spending any money. Like, I'm not spending money on – Facebook ads or whatever, because I, I can see that I'm not an expert at it, right? So I'm 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 doing things very slow and, and low, but I could see that if I had the right people in place, like the last decade, I could blow that out of the water in like, you can make the right one smart decision, right? Like, and I could blow all of that out of the water. So it's like, wow, okay, you know, and the, the the edge that I feel like I have now is 
not many people, especially now, where like you're like, you know, the way that I failed, if I was imagine if I was like on social media and like I was like I feel like it might have been hard to come back from, you know, like I feel like I've had this 10, it's like I just started over again, but I have like a 10 year history and people don't really have that anymore. I, I, I could be, I could be kind of imagining that, but I feel like I just was in that cusp where I was able to really mess things up offline, like, and then come back, but still have like the, the, the strength and everything exactly essentially unscathed so i am and you kind of grasped over this but i want to transition into into your money moves this is something that we want to ask guests every show and what's the next major leap for your business it sounds like e-commerce which obviously has global scale and global uh, possibility I mean, you being a global citizen, I mean, you've lived in the UK, you've lived in other countries. Uh, what does that next major leap look like? So I, I, I think that e-commerce, so, you know, and you're talking to somebody that's still new to the e-commerce thing, um, but I also have a bunch of friends that have e-commerce focus or, or brands i mean that are you know 30 50 million dollars in revenue and they they on the outside it looks like most of their money is coming from e-commerce but what across the board what i gather is like e-commerce is like 20 30 percent for most of these companies um because they're super active on social media, people think that's where the money's coming from. But mostly wholesale. Um, some of these are, are are heavily invested in e-commerce. I don't know if the in uh, in retail. I mean, I don't know how profitable the retail is, but revenue is coming in in that way. But it's mostly wholesale. Uh, I think that e-commerce is. It seems like such a crowded market, and even with social media. Um, Content is great. Like people re respond to content, but getting them to convert is difficult. And in the last two months, I'm 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 literally this is what I do every day. And so I don't see a brand like Duke and Winston unless I was able to bring on, let's say, an outside firm or a part a, a like a master e-commerce person. I don't see that being the primary focus of money. What I think is a brand like Duke and Winston, right? And this is a fun brand and I don't, you know, it's not like I, I don't care about um, profit, but a brand like this, you got to build it. You got to, you got to take some time. You got to really, really build it out. And what the way I see that is offline. Um, there are over, and I have, a, you know, there's over a thousand national, fairly large dog events and shows that 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 people go to their dogs and you know there's like the westminster dog show like there's all of this stuff that happens offline that i think that duke and winston needs to have some kind of presence as at um the, you know in the heyday of duke and winston i was doing i was doing several trunk shows where we're talking like ten thousand dollars in revenue days and out of that ten thousand dollars 
7,000 of that as profit, right? And this was when I was just doing this myself with maybe like one assistant. Well, on a national scale, I think that I need to look into, and this is me talking as me. I'm sure if I brought on like a real, like a partner here, they'd be like, all right, we, you know, we have to, we have to do this as well as e-commerce. This is just how I'm, I'm thinking. Uh, also, I have a, a really, really amazing concept for retail, which is kind of like a dog park mixed with a retail store, mixed with like a space where people bring their dogs, like a groomer. Like, and I ha- and I think that if strategically, if you were able to open these Duke and Winston spaces, maybe five or six of them in very strategic towns nationally, right? So they're not, these these things aren't going to be on like Fifth Avenue, right? Where the rents are $90,000. No, they're going to be in a very wealthy neighborhood with a lot of street traffic, but a very strategic neighborhood where everybody has dogs and all of that. I think that you do, you, you, you do that. Um, and then the, the e-commerce will, e-commerce takes time. And I think that the content that I could create and generate from all of this offline stuff could then feed to somebody who's helping to build the e-commerce. Uh, I think that when you have a brand that's very dog focused and the customer is like, as I mean, you know, my customer base is super engaged or obsessed. You need to be able to hit them face to face, you know, like just e-commerce is not the way if you want to last. And so that's kind of my approach. And so what I really, what I'm doing is over the next couple of months is, is this strategy, you know, like I'm looking for strategic partners, like, because what I've just told you is my idea, but I want to be able to sit down with essentially like a brain trust, you know, and be like, what, what really is the next best move for this brand? Um, you know, if, if, if I'm kind of um, leading the offline part of it, well, okay, well, who could we bring on to kind of scale the the online uh but again from what i've seen from the advice i've given uh i think that offline uh is where a lot of my focus will be uh and then kind of just let the the online kind of uh, grow from there if that makes sense well and and what you're saying is is pretty interesting i think it goes back to your contrarian uh you don't play in the same sandbox. Yeah. I'm not trying out. to be a, I'm not trying to, yeah. so, so, sorry I, to cut you off, but you know, so if you want to uh, get, you want to get to a hundred million dollars, right? Like there, I'm, I, I am, um, acquaintance, uh, I, I, or I'm kind of friends with the Warby Parker guys, right? Cause they, they were all at Wharton when I had the store in Philly. And I, I think I might've even been the first store to carry i had like i made a case for them this is like when they first started and so you would come in and you could try warby parker glasses in my place um you know um bonobos is another brand andy dunn like i'm you know met and talked a bunch of times um Faraday. these are all these these are all these like tech tech um product brands right that have all have these crazy valuations 100 million dollars and they've scaled up I'm not those guys. Like, I just don't have, I'm not, and those are few and far between. The What I like is the Life is Goods and the Vineyard Vines that took them 10, 15, 20 years. Now, each of those companies are $100, 300000000 in revenue, but they did it 
on the street first and then they got into e-commerce and then they got into retail you know i like that you know and so to me the e-commerce you you know if you look at the warby parkers and the barnabas do you know how much money they these guys have had to raise and they've had to raise money in the cutthroat san fran tech world which you know it's like they're they're product companies but they're like they operate like tech and they they and what a lot of young people don't understand is these guys have a thin. Warby Parker does one thing, the glasses. Like if you're a lifestyle brand, you're not going to raise money like that. Like you're not going to become a hundred million dollar tech clothing brand unless you do one thing. We make the best dress shirts ever. I mean, make one, you know, like that's not what Duke and Winston is. It's a lifestyle brand, you know, so. I, for me, I feel like I have to do it that way. And you can still build a hundred million dollar brand, but you're just going to take longer. And I, I don't mind, I don't mind taking five to seven years to get to a hundred million dollars. Like the, the one year, two year thing, I just, I don't know how to do that. Well, and you're building something meaningful too. And, and the point I, you know, I was talking about is that you're going against the grain when everyone is going heavy in social media, everyone's going heavy in, in content and e-commerce and that's the buzz. And I think it will be the buzz for a long time, but if you, and if you follow, follow, follow any real estate developers or real estate people, there's this big push towards residential real estate, but then a lot of, a lot of bigger real estate, uh, tycoons are going heavy into retail and commercial real estate again, which is interesting because a yeah. lot of people are shopping from home. A lot of people are working from home, but there's something that they see. Do you know what, you know what I'm seeing? seeing? And I think you're kind of, in the I am seeing something that first took me, took me by some, like shocked me a little bit. So, you know, when, before I closed Duke and Winston down, I, I, I personally had a, Instagram account, but I posted maybe twice. Like I had Facebook, but you know, Facebook is pretty much like your friends and family. Um, so, and then last year is when I really got like, I started posting on Instagram. So you can consider me very, very, very new to social media. But I'm also somebody that because for over 10 years, I did a lot of street festivals. And I mean, I would do street festivals where there would be 200,000 people. Like, uh, uh, you know, and so I could comfortably say that I've been in front of millions of people that have walked by and interacted with. And this is why my customer base, like I kind of, I know them. One thing I realized is even the Duke and Winston Instagram is such, such a low following. But one thing I realized, it really shocked me was if somebody makes a comment, right? Like somebody says something, hey, what kind of dog collar is that? And let's say a customer responded and they just said like the some oh it's pink right but it's actually red an argument will transpire underneath that comment people are like mean to each other you know what i mean like because back in the day for me customer service happened through email and stuff but now customer service happens in the comments and in in um dms but they're so like it's hard to really know what somebody means and people are at each other's throats and i'm noticing this and i'm like and because again i'm like new to it i'm like wait a minute 
because when when I when you're in front of people, especially dog people, right? And you're doing a trunk show, people are so happy. Like if you want to sell to it's to me the easiest, Duke Winston is the easiest company in the world because my logo is a dog and my dog would usually be there, right? And people would see the dog and see the t-shirt with the dog on it and they would smile and you that that was it. Online, it's it doesn't translate. You know what I mean? Like if you have a brand that's trying to sell like goodness and people and connection online, it's just not a natural place for that. And I think because everybody's gravitating online, there is going to be a void of real life connection. It just is, you know? And so I understand it's more expensive and it's harder to scale, but I think that we're going to find that like, People, the, the, the brands or, or businesses that don't neglect like face-to-face, there's, there's going to be some kind of comeback. You know what I mean? And that's why I think that like I have to overlook the profit. Like if I had some money right now and it was like you could, if you put this money towards building e-commerce and you could build Duke & Winston into a $100 million e-commerce brand over the next year, or you could use that money and build this a whole offline thing over the next three to five. I would go the offline because there's also a there's and again I'm not using the right words, but there's a there's a human thing that I all and you know you talked about things that you want to build like in the future. I I care about people. Right? I care about like I don't I care about business, but I also care about people more. And so for me, like I want to. I want Duke and Winston to also be solving this like people problem that I think that we're having, you know what I mean? And so that's why I like the offline thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. And I, I think that's where a lot of investment is going to go back to because people are starting to realize, and you see on Instagram too, like there, there are no cool yeah, Instagram exactly. stories if there are no cool places to go. Right. And so people are looking for experiences yeah, um, so, and you can't really translate that experience. Yeah, online. you can try. Yeah, it feels really unnatural to me, man. Because I, I wake up, like I could still just be like in my underwear. Like I'll go to the computer, I'll post something. It doesn't feel natural, right? Because I'm just like, you know, because I'm not used to it. Like I was used to having to like, yeah. you know, when things were like, you know, you got to go to the store. You like you you're expecting to be in front of people but it's too easy for you from it's too easy the e-commerce thing to like bullshit you know what i mean i kind of don't like it yeah yeah well just transitioning here um you know one thing i like to ask uh, every guest this is our keep tweak delete section so keep is one thing you've kept in your business or that you're keeping that's accelerated your growth. Uh, one thing that you've tweaked to continue your growth and one thing you've removed or deleted that was hindering your growth. And I think we went over a lot of these, but um, I think just kind of a fire round of some things that come to your mind. So what's one thing that you've kept or that you're keeping that is going to continue to accelerate your growth? Um, I think that the person, you know, the personal voice of the brand and also the entertainment aspect of it. So um, a lot of what the customers seem to like about the brand and surveyed and everything is that it was, it, it entertained them as well as would sell them stuff. So, you know, I've always 
we always have this kind of like a funny, silly voice to everything. And, and I always kept that. And, you know, and I also was doing that back when a lot of my competitors and my friends that had brands, everything was really serious, you know, like the copy, everything was so, and I would kind of go more silly with it. Um, and this is back when like, you know, Obama was president and everything was, everything was kind of like good. And I would do that. But I think now things are so much more serious. And I feel like that style of how I was doing things is actually need, more needed now because things are much, seem much more tense now, which is weird because you would think with the more so growth, oh, social yeah. media things would be looser. They're much more tense. So keeping that silly, like Duke and Winston is a, it's just a brand about a doll. You know, it's very silly. It's not serious, but it's really needed. And so I think that keeping that is, you know, I think that that makes the brand will give me an edge, you know. What's one thing you're tweaking or you've tweaked that's helping to continue your growth? Um, I think that tweak, I mean, my <laughs> attitude, you know, my, just my, my, yeah, you know, my attitude to stuff like I definitely was of the opinion that my creativity built this brand that it would you know things would fall into place and and i didn't and the things that i wasn't good at i didn't have to care about those things and you know again i i had never been really bumped on the head before and so i'm a lot more open like i've real realized that i'm not the center and i'm not the one that's going to be, you know, of course, I've done a lot of the heavy lifting in the first 10 years, but the next phase of the brand for where it's going to go, there's a lot of more talented people out there. And it's my job to just put the right people in place, which is a very sh different shift from you being like, I'm the, it's me. No, my job is to put people in place. And so that's been a shift in, in attitude that I think will, will help because it lets, I, now, even though things haven't happened yet i can see how so much more will happen with me with the kind of tweak of position that i put myself yeah, in if that yeah, makes sense that's perfect and i i think that's just with anything um, if you don't have the right mindset you you're on a slow path to uh big problems because you have to be dialed yeah in. big time and what's one thing that you've deleted that that was hindering your growth that had you not remove this, you still would have, maybe you would have been doing a little more revenue, but you wouldn't fully, you wouldn't be fully maxing out on your potential. Hmm. I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll, let me, I'll say retail, to be honest, even though it, going back to it, but, okay, that's um, Non non strategic retail, uh, I think that that hundred percent, and not even just for me, for everyone, like it's it'll kill you. So kind of a shot of the hip, like you know, as long as I get people in the door, my business will survive. Instead of thinking, how can I get people in the door this time and keep them coming back and create that experience? Yeah, exactly. It's gotta be gotta be it's gotta be planned. So. There's, I, I, I completely understand like, you know, the death of, of, of retail, like how, you know, if you look at Philadelphia, like the main 
Main Street, where Ralph Lauren, J. Crew, all of these huge brands. That's where I was at. Which is funny when when I what 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 you aren't told right is that a lot of these guys they're paying eighty ninety thousand dollars in rent that it's like a marketing thing for them they're losing money terribly but the perception is that you look and you're like oh wow people are going in they must be making money it's not true and so as a startup as a small brand with limited resources you you know and still to this day those people gravitate towards it right because it's it's all retail is almost instant gratification right because online you're just sitting there waiting for people to buy from you well stores they come in and so you think okay well this is there's activity it can kill you because there's so much that goes into retail long leases you know pos piece of shit landlords like you know what i mean like and all everything and then also it stifles you especially if you're a small startup small team all the, the time and bandwidth that you need to be out there, like building a national or global business can get sucked up being in this, you know, this one box. So I would say that getting rid of that definitely was like, you know, it, it happened in a, not in a planned way, but it's literally like, a, it was essentially as a godsend. Yeah. At this point. And it ultimately sounds like it was the, the vital shift or the pivot you needed in order to regroup, to plan for long-term success and not just uh, exactly. five, 10 years success. Exactly. Well, so what are some final thoughts that you, you have that you think our audience could benefit from? Um, you know, I think that the big thing that I have learned through this whole process, and it's the one thing that I, notice that it's missing and it's weird because i think that sometimes this is maybe not something that people will just naturally naturally do like you kind of have to maybe go through um, a tough time you have to you have to um do a lot of self-analysis you've got to be you know a lot of times you have an idea, you, you know, you're supposed to think your idea is the greatest in the world, right? You're supposed to think that you've got something, you know, a lot of times you almost have to be delusional, I think, to be successful at because <laughs> you've just got to push your way through, Especially you know, and like, you, like yours. exactly. And it's weird, even for, for someone like me to be saying that, like, when somebody ever told me that I don't think Duke and Winston is great, like 10 years ago, I'd be like, you know, like, you know, I wouldn't take that from them. Right. But I think that you personally have to self analyze and you have to be very honest about you, your role, your deficiencies, right? Like what are you, like, what are you, because the, the thing is that there's always this false sense of like, I'm invincible. I got the, if you're able to do that, you don't have to tell anyone. But if you are able to do that quietly, it'll help you because you, you if you're able to do that to yourself, as you go out in the world and you know, owning a business, there's so many moving parts and you need to be able to, and this is where people get burnt out is because like they just, you know, you, the, the, the processing of things are, you know, it starts to kind of just get kind of, wiry 
But if you are able to do a lot of self-analysis and you just know where you're at, it helps you, right? And 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 I think that, so I think that's the one thing that I have just learned is like, it calms thing, it calms you down and you're able to just analyze things better. You know, if you're, if you're critiquing someone, you're critiquing them from a, a very honest place because you've kind of started that with yourself. Um, so I think that self-analysis is, super important and also i think this has become a whole thing now self-care but you got you know you not overextending yourself right and especially if, if you're young if you're if i'm talking to a younger audience you've got time like whatever it is that you know we've read that's like you know by your tw- 20s your 30s you want to be a millionaire you've got time you know, like if you think it's something that's going to take you five years, it's going to take 10. If you think it's going to take 10, it's going to take 20. But all of in all that time is actually not a bad thing. You know, like you don't most of the guys that I know that have really made it like overnight. And now they're in their mid 30s and they, they made their first million at 20. I've noticed that there's like a there's a, they've almost done everything. Right. And there's like a lack of like joy in life that I, I notice, you know, because you don't, you don't want it that quick, to be honest, you know, like the, the journey, the slow build is, is, is not a bad thing. Uh, and I know that's easy to say for my position, right. But it's not the worst thing in the world, you know? And well, so there's hopefully that makes sense. I like to say, and that you run a marathon the same way you climb a mountain and that's one step at a time. And it sounds like you were running your marathon at first, but had you not taken a break in the middle of the marathon, reassessed, took a breath, you may not be able to climb further along. Yeah, and climb and climb, not just the mountain that I'm on, but like many other mountains and like, you know, and, and, and choose not to climb the mountain. Like I'm more comfortable, like, you know, like it's a whole different, the, this, where I've come to personally is miles beyond even just like the business at this point, you know, and I, and, and this whole process took me there, you know, it's just like a, a mature, if you are able to go through, build a business and, and deal with all of the shit that comes with it, and you fall, and then when you pick yourself back up, there's nothing that you learn in any business school. There's nothing, like you've learned so much. And you know, when you fall, people, it takes time. You know, it's not like you're gonna pick yourself, but it could take years. But when you get back up and you look back, like the rest of your life moving forward, if again, if you go through the steps, and I had to go through steps, like I had to go get help and I had to talk to people and like, and really analyze like what happened, right? And I not not be like, oh, you know what? It was because this guy didn't invest my money. Like, no, no, no. Put myself in the center of it and really analyze what happened. The the skills that I learned just going through that process, moving forward has opened up the whole like world to me. And like, I'm super comfortable. Like this, this phase of Duke and Winston is so much fun because I'm just like, you know, it's like, it, it's a lot more fun. Um, so you're enjoying again, the grind. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I was super excited to interview you. This was especially following your brand for the last th- four or five years. And, and so I, I'm excited to see where your future success takes you. 
and excited to share this with people that are on their startup journey and people that are looking to take, whether they're in their current situation, take their, their lives to the next level or someone that's just starting out a business and maybe whether it's in the fashion industry like you or whether they're, they're starting whatever kind of startup that I think this, these lessons can apply to no matter what you're doing. And so where can our team of listeners uh, find you? Um, so the website uh, is duke-winston.com. Um, I think you can type in duke and winston.com. It'll take you there. Um, Instagram, Duke and Winston. Uh, Facebook, Duke and Winston. Twitter, which I barely use, Duke and Winston. Um, you know, any questions, want to shoot me an email. It's seun, Shane, at duke-winston.com. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's it for now. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show. This was a lot of fun. I'm super excited to share this episode coming up this Monday. Um, and I guess a good closing is long live the Duke. Maybe he didn't long live the Duke. to see this part of the Duke and Winston story, but the next part of the journey is going to be, is going to be something meaningful and memorable. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me on. What a powerful episode. You know, our episodes up to date have been well into the 55 one hour mark. This one had just so much insight that not to say all of our other episodes haven't given so much insight, but there were so many bits and pieces and little nuggets that we didn't necessarily want to edit out because we didn't want you to lose the, the full spectrum of what it takes to take your business to the next level. You know, it's pretty interesting that if he would have taken some of those opportunities that were presented to him, or he didn't have that self-reflection period to say, hey, it's not woe is me. The world isn't after me. No one's just going to give me a handout. I have to self-reflect. I have to look at what it takes to take my business to the next level. He may not have gotten to the point where he can say, I know what it takes to take my business to not only where I was before, but 10 exit to the next level. And that's something that I want us to all remember as part of our startup journey. Because not to use the cliche, successes, all, it's all a part of the journey, not a part of the destination. Well, yeah, it is a part of the destination or we wouldn't. Who wants to go through stress and turmoil and trying to take nothing and turn it into something if we're not trying to get to a, a 10x or that next level destination? I don't think any sane person would. And that's the gist of entrepreneurship. We're building our parachute every day. We jump off that cliff and figure out how are we going to land this one. And friends, team, the, the jumping never stops, right? If, if it's not one thing, it's another. But over the course of our lives, when we look back one six months, one year, five years, and look at the the legacies that we're building, look at the empires that we're building, look at the, the brands and, and the communities that we're building. That jumping will all seem worth it. 
When you're in the middle of the fire, it's hard to see how am I going to navigate my way out of this. But that's okay. Sometimes navigating takes a little, a little uncertainty. Yeah, you might take a detour you didn't anticipate. That makes it part of a good road trip. You don't quit saying, you don't say, you know what, I'm just going to quit my cross-country drive because I, I took a detour into a, a new neighborhood that I didn't plan on going to. No, you go along for the ride, you buckle down, and you do what it takes to get to where you're headed. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. If you could, whatever whatever platform you're listening to, uh, we're on a bunch of different platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Breaker, Radio Public, Stitcher. We're, we're on a bunch of different ones. Subscribe and leave a comment. I, I want to receive w- what your thoughts are, um, whether it's the, the, the sound quality or the editing or or the length of the interviews. Give us that feedback. Um, uh, as I call you guys, you are our team. You're on your startup journeys. We're on our startup journey. And and the best way to grow is to listen to your team. You know, I sh- we share some thoughts during our Wednesday um, weekly shorts. Um, but we want to receive your feedback no matter what time of the week it is. Not just exclusive to one episode, but all of our episodes. Uh, because when you put in the work day in and day out... That work and that hard work and that energy and that tenacity, it compounds itself. And that's what we're looking to do. Compound our tenacity to win and make this an amazing show and for shows to come. This show has a few great things coming up um, that I'm super excited to share with you guys over the next coming weeks. Um, Be sure to follow us on Instagram. Um, You never know what kind of giveaways or what kind of promos we're going to be doing along the way. And so with that... I hope you guys enjoyed this episode, and as I always say, you run a marathon the same way you climb a mountain, one step at a time. Until next week's episode, or this week's short, we'll see you